It's Jim Paff, and welcome back to the Against Nice podcast, where we believe that nice people are the cruelest of all people because they're subjective and selfish in the way that they address society. Kind people have the interests of others in mind, but they speak truth into society. Follow us on iTunes, give us a five-star rating, and also uh, give us your review of the podcast. You can also follow us on Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many other podcasting apps. Now let's get to the show. I am so looking forward to this interview today. One of my best friends and closest friends, Evan Sayet, a comedian who just has also a great understanding of what's going on in culture. Uh, this is a great interview with a really good friend. It's, it's fun because he's he's got a, a great attitude, but he's got an incisive look into what's happening, as I say, in culture, in politics. He's got great ideas on what to do. His book, The Woke Supremacy, is kind of the foundation of what we're talking about. And um, he starts off saying woke supremacists, and frankly, that is a great way to describe the cancel culture that's taking place right now. Evan's got some great ideas on how to work through this. And this is, this is one of those discussions you're going to enjoy from the outset. And I think it's going to be very informative to you. So without further ado, my interview with my great friend, Evan say who, by the way, I should say Evan wrote for the Arsenio Hall show way back in the day. He's written for Bill Maher. He's a fantastic conservative and yeah, I think you're going to enjoy this. So again, now second time. Without further ado, let's talk to Evan Sayet. I am so looking forward to this interview today. One of my best friends and closest friends, Evan Sayet, a comedian who just has also a great understanding of what's going on in culture. Uh, this is a great interview with a really good friend. It's, it's fun because he's, he's got a, a great attitude, but he's got an incisive look into what's happening, as I say, in culture, in politics. He's got great ideas on what to do. His book, The Woke Supremacy, is kind of the foundation of what we're talking about. And um, he starts off saying woke supremacists, and frankly, that is a great way to describe the cancel culture that's taking place right now. Evan's got some great ideas on how to work through this. And this is, this is one of those discussions you're going to enjoy from the outset. And I think it's going to be very informative to you. So without further ado, my interview with my great friend, Evan say who, by the way, I should say Evan wrote for the Arsenio Hall show way back in the day. He's written for Bill Maher. He's a fantastic conservative and yeah, I think you're going to enjoy this. So again, now second time. Without further ado, let's talk to Evan Sayet. I'm watching the riots, and I'm listening to the pundits, and I'm listening to the politicians. I'm even listening to some of the participants, and none of them seem to know really who and what the woke are. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote this almost as a primer, an introduction, because the first rule of of, of war, and this is war, Jim. I hate to say it, but it, it's that war. That is. You know, how bloody it's going to eventually get, you know, I don't want to say. Um, But the first rule of warfare is know thy enemy. And so I wrote this book so that both those who mindlessly are joining the woke, thinking there's something they're not, um, but also to steal our side for the battle. I almost wrote it to be like Thomas uh, Thomas Kane's 
common sense. Thomas Paine's. Yeah. Thomas yeah. Paine's common sense. <laughs> uh, you know, You're I thinking tried of so Herman hard. Cain there. Exactly. I tried so hard not to say Thomas Sowell. That was like, <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just, <laughs> that's hilarious, man. Uh, you know, uh, I, the, the woke is an interesting concept that is just seemingly popped out of nowhere. There's, it was probably lingering in somebody's back basement or, or in, in that, um, that uh, satanic ritual that was taking place in C.S. Lewis's That Hideous Strength. You know, something like that. It's been hanging around there for a while. Uh, but but it's, suddenly it's kind of come on the scene. I mean, I it, what's interesting about it is that I find myself wanting to use the word fascism more and more and more in relationship to this. I remember, you know, you and I are both fans of it. I remember reading Jonah Goldberg's uh, Liberal Fascism. Right. Which, by the way, he, he kind of left that now in his <laughs> anti-Trumpism. I don't understand why, but but um, th- he really did a good job in that and pointing out he, he kind of stayed away from Hitler, although he, he kind of showed that he really pointed. Well, that's, towards, that's 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 where I pick it up because I don't stay away from Hitler. No, no, and um, I think that that's fine. <laughs> you know, especially Jewish as you are, you know, um, this is a sensitive topic. I mean, well, this, you know, it's real though too. I mean, well, it's, it should be real to anybody. It should be real yeah. to anybody. It wasn't, you know, I mean, the Jews certainly suffered the brunt of it, but the entire world suffered at at Hitler's hands. You know, whether whether it was my father who had a give up years of his life to go over to Europe to, to fight and, and risk his life and, and whatnot, right. um, whether it was all the displaced people. So it's not just, I mean, it was the entire world that, that was affected by it. I'll tell you exactly where wokeism came from. Uh, woke, where we are right now is the culmination of the 60s radicals. All right. Wokeism is 60s radicalism. It's the same thing. It's, it's democratic socialism. It's the desire for a revolution, the overthrow of the American government and its replacement with a utopian socialist ideology. Now, the founders of this movement, the radicals, were truly evil people. I mean, William Ayers and his wife were murderers and terrorists. You know, Mark Rudd was bloodthirsty. I'll I'll give you an idea just how evil these people are and were. At the very first meeting of William Ayers and Bernadine Dorn's terrorist group, The Weather Underground, this was in 1969 in Flint, Michigan, they actually celebrated Charles Manson's murders that had just recently taken place. I mean, these are vile, sick people who murdered cops, Angela Davis, uh, who, who actually incited children to murder their parents. It, it was William Ayers, okay? The, you know, Barack Obama's buddy. Barack Obama kicked off yeah. his- Mentor, mentor. Yeah, his mentor. <laughs> right? he, he said, bring the revolution home. Kill your parents, all right? These, these were really vile, evil, and disgusting people who sought to foment a revolution and first and foremost doing so by starting race riots, by starting race wars. Yeah. Right? This is, this is why uh, when they had the choice at the very beginning of the radical movement, when they could have joined with the Democratic Party or the Republican Party, right? they could have joined with the party, the Republicans, of women's suffrage, uh, abolition, uh, the 1957 Civil Rights Act, or the party of segregation, Jim Crow, slavery, George Wallace, and they decided to join the party of slavery, Jim Crow, and George Wallace. Why? Because 
it didn't matter to the revolutionaries whether Wallace made white people hate blacks or if Malcolm X made black people hate whites, just so long as there was hatred between the races. And that is something that, that Charles Manson sought to start. That's what he called Helter Skelter, was, was uh, this massive uh, apocalyptic race war. And yeah. that's why William Ayers and his followers cheered uh, uh, Manson. What happened was the revolutionaries failed. Right? They simply could not attract enough normal people, people who had seen socialism, who had fled it in, 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 from Russia, from Stalinist Russia, who had fled it from Nazi Germany, or who had gone overseas like my father to fight it and saw the horrors of socialism. They, they couldn't get the people from the greatest generation who knew the real world to join their moronic, violent, and hateful movement and, and so they sort of went underground. They did what we call the long march through mm -hmm. the institutions. They slowly took over you know, uh, through attrition, natural attrition, but also by purging. And sometimes at gunpoint, like at Columbia University, where they put a gun uh, to the president's head and took over the school and, and never relinquished it. Right? And, and they turned academia and education into their ministry of indoctrination. They, they turned news and entertainment into their ministry of propaganda. Now they've got the ministry of social communications. And it was Mark Rudd, just this really evil, disgusting human being. Everybody who was a democratic socialist as a founding member was as evil and disgusting as you, 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 you can be. I mean, truly bloodthirsty human beings, mentally ill human beings. And Mark Rudd said, the true flowering of the 60s will come in the 90s when we've taken over the institutions. Well, he was wrong only because he missed the obvious. Once they took over the institutions, they needed one more generation to use those institutions to brainwash. So from the 60s to the 90s is 30 years. What's 30 years from the 90s? That would be the 20s, 2020s. That would be, that would be 2020, all right, which is why you now see them finally <laughs> taking off their masks again, calling themselves socialists again, calling for the murder of cops again. Bernie Sanders uses the word revolution again. This is simply the, the, the sick mindset of the 60s radicals, but now with an army of social justice warriors brainwashed into hatred for America. Yeah. And, and listen, this, our, I remember our academic institutions. You know, I, I, I tell... I, People are going to get tired on the podcast because I've repeated well, you, this story. You, you, I think you, three you, times. You, you, you were there at the founding. Of course you remembered. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, so in the mid eighties, I remember I was in a, a uh, political class, actually po political science class, a uh, professor at Indiana university who was a liberal more in the JFK mold, but I mean, a little influenced by the sixties radicalism at the time, but uh, we're, we're talking about John Stuart Mill. And utilitarianism. Now, knowing as I was learning at that time or understanding that Mill and Bentham, his mentor, were atheists, I'm just rejecting it all. I mean, I'm a brand new Christian. I'm a young kid, man, vim and vigor. You <clears throat> this John Stuart Mill, you know. And he pulled me aside after class one time because I was very vocal in class. And he says to me, Hey, I, you, Jim, you might not understand this. I mean, <laughs> Like utilitarianism, I know it's not the perfect conservative thing, but it kind of fits. So it would be important for you to spend some time understanding the philosophy so you can see how it aligns with, I mean, he actually was helping me. He actually was 
being um, thoughtful about wanting me to learn. That would not happen in an academic institution that in this day. Oh, oh absolutely. It not. has been so taken over. Yeah. In fact, not even one iota. You know, my book's called The Woke Supremacy because I argue that wokeness is, in fact, socialism in general is, is, is a supremacist ideology. Yeah. Uh, right? When you believe, first of all, it's a globalist ideology. That's why Marx said uh, workers of the world unite. He didn't say workers of Russia. Mm -hmm. He didn't say workers of Europe. He said workers of the world unite because it was intended to be a global revolution. Right. And, and if you listen even to the nicest uh, telling of socialism from the nicest guy who you can imagine, John Lennon, yeah. you know, and, and in the song Imagine, there are three prerequisites. There are three requisites for the utopia that socialism always promises. Now, the utopia each of them imagined is different. The utopia that Stalin imagined was different than the paradise that Hitler imagined is different than the, uni the universe that, that Mao imagined, and it's different than what the democratic socialists imagined. But nonetheless, the three prerequisites for the perfect society, whatever that perfect society is, is that there be no personal possessions, that there be no countries, and that there be no religion. Right? The idea is that without personal property, there won't be greed, there won't be, uh, uh, there, there, there won't be uh, jealousy. Without government, without nations, there won't be xenophobia and, and, and wars for glory. And without God, there won't be uh, the belief that God's on my side and we must take over the world. I mean, it really is, in, in its most simplistic form, they see it as a really positive world. The problem is that the three requisites for the perfect socialist world are also the three requisites for the authoritarianism and totalitarianism that socialism has never yet failed to bring. That's because without personal possessions, the individual doesn't have the ability to stand up to a tyrannical right. government. Right? Without other nations, there are no other armies strong enough to oppose the globalist leaders' rules. And without God, there's no moral mandate above that of the dictator to countermand his, his dictates. And so even if you eventually were able to get to that perfect world where you've eliminated all the people, all the people who, who uh, believe in the rights to, to personal property, the fruits of their own labor, even if you succeeded in eliminating all the people who, who, who appreciate the protection of national sovereignties, even if you eliminate all the people who believe in the moral teachings of whatever religion they believe, even once you get there, you still have an authoritarian and totalitarian government ruling all the world with all the money. That's what socialism is. Yeah. So, you know, they, they don't mean there's no possessions. We'll have laptops. I mean, if you watch, I was just watching the movie 1984 last <laughs> night. They have, a, they have television sets. It just doesn't belong to them. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, you know, by the way, it's really important to point out here. First of all, we don't, we don't train kids in logic and rhetoric anymore on some quite of these the fundamental things. Quite the opposite. And yeah, yeah, quite the opposite. And so here's, here's the logical fallacy, which I thought was beautifully described by uh, Milton Friedman in his Phil Donahue interview from back, I think it was 74 maybe. I just watched it the other day. Yeah, and I share it quite a bit. So for the listener that hasn't heard of it, so Phil Donahue starts out by saying, you know, gosh, when you look at the inequalities in the world and all, do you ever have a problem about capitalism and greed? And 
And his response is, well, wait a minute, let's, let's talk about greediness here. So what he points out basically fundamentally is that is the basic problem that Madison understood in uh, federalist, I think 54, uh, you know, if, if, if men, if, if angels could rule over us, then we wouldn't need government, you know, that's a problem and, twofold. One, they, they do have to believe that the leadership are angels. They have right. to believe that they're superhuman. Correct. They also have to believe themselves to be inferior because they need the superhuman God or parent or, 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 um, uh, what was the other word? Well, slave owner, ultimately. But mm-hmm. they, they, there's a run in my book, The Woke Supremacist, where I quote one after another after another Democrat talking about Barack Obama. Uh, Evan Thomas from Newsweek magazine said, I was on with Chris Matthews, and he said, Obama <clears throat> is like God. Yeah. He then later said, Obama is the teacher. Right? Then I quote yeah. Michelle Obama, who's talking to a leadership conference. And she was asked about her husband's eight years in office. And she said, it was like having the good parent at home, the one who tells you to eat your peas and when to, and to go to bed on time. And this is in fact how they, they see themselves as children. They see their leaders as gods and, and, and teachers and parents. And, and in fact, it, it, it was, well, of course, Orwell who saw it as big brother with his little right. siblings. Right, right, right. We call it, we call it the nanny state, but the Nazi Germans, the socialist Germans had a name for their leader. They called them Der Führer. Yeah. Der Führer means the teacher or the yeah. guide. Right. That's how they see government is as the big brother who's going to take care of them. And, and they see themselves as children. Yeah, they do. And, and it, it is interesting when you analyze, uh, as Montesquieu did, the different forms of government. So if you look at pure dictatorship, you've got to get to that godlike way of thinking of that person. When you get to monarchy, this is where respect comes in. You know, you got to respect the leader, which is just another form of this. So we we look at that person and it, it would be dishonorable to go against the king, you know. Whereas when we get to the Republican form of government, we get to examples of the bucolic, the independent, the isolated, the, but, but, but the coming together as a community of individuals. I mean, the whole rhetoric is different. Right, right. I mean, the difference can be found in the fact that Barack Obama has followers and Donald Trump has supporters. That, that we recognize that the job of our government is to represent our interests, not to tell us what's right for us. That's what the Democrats believe. That's what the socialists believe. They believe that it's up to the government to tell us to eat our peas and to go to bed on time. You know, there's a a, a quote from uh, Michael Bloomberg in my book, The Woke Supremacist. I'm sorry. I even get my own book's title wrong. It's The Woke Supremacy uh, in Anti-Socialist Manifesto. And and Michael Bloomberg is quoted, and I'm going to have to paraphrase now, but he says, you know, some people say that taxes are regressive. Because if it taxes, let's say, 10% sales tax, well, that hurts the poor more than it hurts the rich. And he said, and he said, and that's the good thing about them. Because the problem with people who don't have money is them. And, and by, by putting these taxes on them, we'll get them to better treat themselves the way they should be treating themselves. Wow. I, I, so I've is, never heard that before. That's amazing. Yep, I mean, that's, that, that, that was 
the that was absolutely accurate in its essence. The wording, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I didn't know all that well. But yeah, yeah. And, and in fact, the Democrats use taxes today <clears throat> the way the Democratic slave owners used chains back in the day to control the behavior of people that they think of as children, as mentally inferior. In, in fact, um, there was a philosopher back in, in maybe 175 years ago named, named um, Fitzhugh. I can't believe I can't think of his first name because so I've been seeing it for the last year as I write this book. But and, and he said that slavery is a form of socialism. In fact, it's the best form of socialism. <laughs> what he means by best is it's not, that it's the purest. Yeah. It's the purest. All right. Yeah. It's the one in control who knows better than the childlike person. Right. You know, and, and that's what Democrats thought blacks were. In fact, all the way to the 50s and beyond, Democrats still called grown black men boy. Uh, well, well. And, by the way, what's and, the basic one of the basic uh, legal constructs of communist or socialist states is the lack of free movement. I mean, that's just a form of slavery. Yet, it's interesting to me when you when you talk about taxes, because we should really repeal the Sixteenth Amendment. It's it's been a scar on our society ever since it was implemented, and for this reason, because the productive labor of a person comes about in their the wages they receive for the work they do, the increase that they get from what they do in their businesses and the labor they put into that. And yeah. you are essentially controlling the productive effort of, a, of an individual when you do these taxes. Prior to this, you did not see an attitude in this country of reliance upon the government, need for the government. There was a lot of there was a, actually a decent amount of disrespect for the government. You might respect the individuals, but you always questioned the government. That's flipped on its head after, I think, now four generations of the income tax. Mm -hmm. oh, so you blame it on the income tax, which certainly it, and the it welfare eliminates state. and the welfare state, which eliminates one of the most essential, absolutely essential. It divorces reward from merit. Yes. When, when, when you are taking away rightful reward for hard work and increasing the reward for sloth, you're, you, are, you, are skewing, you, you are skewing the desire to produce. All right? The person who works hard is going to work less hard if he's making less money. And mm -hmm. the person who wasn't working at all isn't going to work any harder if he's getting more money by, by sitting around. Yeah. I mean, this divorcing, this divorcing of reward from merit, is so central that 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 communism and socialism actually from those according to their ability to those yep. according to their need. And to paraphrase Ayn Rand, you know what what this means is is that in in a capitalist society, in order to get more for yourself, for your family, for your children, for your neighbors, you have to prove yourself more needed. Right. Somebody yep. has to say, I need you to fix my car because you're the whereas in a socialist society, you need to get more for yourself. You need to prove yourself more needy. Yes. That you need more, that you are less capable. If you're capable, then you should be producing more. So you need to you need to prove yourself incapable, whereas in a, in, in a capitalist system, you have to prove yourself more capable. Yeah. And, and something and something your audience and everybody should understand is that capitalism is, is a bit of a misnomer in that every system is capitalist. Yeah. The question is who controls the capital? 
Right. Is it going to be the masses, the mainstream, the people who earn it and work for it? Or is it going to be a handful of elite who confiscate all the possessions and all the money and all the resources? But at the same, there's still money. There's still capital. It's just a matter of, is it going to be a czar? Is it going to be a, a, a king? Is it going to be uh, a By dictator? the way, is it, is it going to be a Congress and a president that, that gives special benefits to certain large corporations? I mean, I go back to the whole uh, TARP, incident and, and the, right. the economic decline. And I have, I had good friends in the banking industry and, and it was amazing to watch what was happening. I was on the radio in Denver at the time. You and I were doing our thing from time to time on there as well. But what these, what I was finding out as TARP was passed, the, the uh, troubled asset relief program that bailed out large banks on the other side of it, the FDIC was closing small banks. People mm -hmm. are not aware of the decimation of the small banking industry the in this country the since then. The community bank of the local community bank banks. Of, yeah. You know, that community bank is a is a highly uh, specific legal term in terms of this. But you, you had commercial small commercial banks, community banks. You know, the ICBA, the which is the Community Bankers uh, Association, that uh, when I worked on Capitol Hill would lobby us. I mean. They're decimated as an organization. And, and so they would take these small banks that they said couldn't survive. They closed them down forcibly. The FDIC did this and handed them to mid-sized banks. I mean, they just, they got rid of the local banker to the point where when I was working for Congressman Tim Hillscamp from Kansas, we, you know, I mean, there are counties in that first district of Kansas that are no larger than two or 3,000 people. Counties. Mm-hmm. And commercial banks could not, especially after the, uh, the regulations of the Barack Obama administration, could not make loans for houses less than $100,000. They couldn't do it. In other words, so they go out of business, many of them. We have lost, that, that takes away more individual liberty, but it's corporatist in that it take away competition from these big banks and it's insane. And it's all government directed. It's not, that is not capitalism. That is a, a something close to socialism. Indeed. Sorry, I, I had to mute you for a moment. I thought a sneeze was coming on. I didn't know what was I supposed to duck out. Camera range. What do you, I don't know what these. Hey, I already got to do that twice. You've only done it once. I've done it two or three times so far. So there you go. Okay. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, it, at every level, the, the socialist seeks to take away the local and then regional and then national until they get to global. Uh, right. that, that's, that's their goal is to take away, well, let's start even with personal autonomy. Yeah. By limit, then eliminate the family, which is their goal, eliminate mm -hmm. the church and eliminate, uh, and eliminate the nation state. Mm -hmm. And eventually, and so you look and you go, well, they're not really globalists yet because it comes in steps. It's incremental. Uh, and, and, Social look, you know, Hitler didn't take over the world before he took over, you know, the, uh, Poland. Yeah. And qu question for you, we're on take. Can we pause this for a moment? There's somebody very important at my front door. Yeah, go ahead. I can. Uh, we, we can do. Just go, keep going. I'll cut it. I'll edit okay. it. All right. I, okay. right go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. I want to take a quick break right here so we can get to some of our sponsors. We want to take a moment here, right in the middle of the podcast, just to tell you how 
incredibly important it is that you go to www.politicsisntnice.com as you get more information about the important things we're talking about today and uh, get other insights into different information and join our email list. There's a button right at the top right-hand portion of the webpage where you can join our email list. Also, go to facebook.com forward slash against nice. Twitter handle is against nice. You can follow us on Instagram at against nice as well. And on Parlor at against nice. Uh, All of our social media is available to you. And of course, you can follow us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many other podcasting apps so that you can get the podcast immediately when it comes out. And be sure to give us a five-star rating and let people know what you think about this broadcast and the others that we have there. Again, www.politicsisntnice.com. Well, look how handsome I am. I, yeah, totally, man. <laughs> All you need is uh, Van Dyke now, and then you'll be perfect. You know what? If I could grow one, I would. I, I, my, my, from, I've never been able to grow a beard. It always comes in and then goes straight under here, and I end up looking like Abraham Lincoln every time. So I wouldn't that, mind. I would. Yeah, yeah. Well, even though he did, uh, did kind of expand the power of the state somewhat, but we'll, we'll, he's still great in many ways. And but, um, so picking back up. So you say. Uh, woke supremacy so uh give me give me some more in input about the book what what uh what other ideas are you trying to lay out there because we already know that democrats and and and, and maybe not all democrats I'm, I'm talking about rank file voters but people of the left who are in power in this country they do not hold the american ideal at all and i think it's funny that you accidentally were saying uh, supremacist instead of white woke supremacy because it's interesting the, the whole concept of is it takes one to know one i mean they're the ones that are the first to say that we got white supremacists out there and they'll find a couple of them david duke and maybe a couple other people hey, but, that's but so the funny. thing Hold is on, they're man. the supremacists well that's that's the point of my book i mean that's why yeah. it's called the woke supremacy and and I lay out over and over and over again how they are no different than the white supremacists. They are no different than the German Nazi supremacists. They are no different than the Islamist supremacists. Um, they all they all have a, a, a belief that rights, privileges, and protections only belong to those who share the supreme trait. White supremacists believe that rights and protections. Uh, only belong to whites. The Nazis believe that rights and protections only belong to the Aryans. The Islamists believe only rights and protections belong to those who, who, who are appropriately pious to Muhammad. And they believe all rights and privileges belong only to those who share the woke ideology. And as globalists, they don't see themselves as Americans. They see yeah. themselves as citizens of the world. And as such, no nationalist document like an oath of office or a constitution do they see as any sort of constraint uh, in in, in their practices, in their policies. This is why Barack Obama was able to use, to weaponize the American government against its own citizens. Which citizens? The ones who aren't part of the woke supremacy. See, if you're a nationalist, you believe all rights belong to the citizens, equally to the citizens of that nation. And, and you can really see the difference in, in how these two sides 
think about, about these things in how each side protests what they righteously believe are their, are, are their grievances. Uh, mm -hmm. Nationalist protests are peaceful, uh, are, are even joyous. I mean, they don't commit crimes. They, they, they don't even litter. Typically, they leave the place cleaner. They, they fill out the proper paperwork. They, they stay in their assigned places. There's no property damage. Compare and contrast the, the democratic uh, protests. They're violent, and the more violent, the better. The rioting, there's looting, there's an, and they beat people up to prevent them from exercising their constitutional rights. You know, when, when and they don't even try to hide this. You know, when the woke go to shut up Ben Shapiro or Candace Owen or Charlie Kirk on college campuses, they're making it very clear. Their goal is to deny these people their <laughs> constitutional right of free speech. Their yeah. goal is to use violence to intimidate people from not using their constitutional right to assemble peaceably to hear an alternative point of view. And, and by and the so way, that, we, we just had the Democrat National Convention happen. Uh, if, if people think that the National Democrat politicians don't both support and encourage this, just take what Elizabeth Warren said during the uh, Democrat National Convention. She said that they were coming after the Republicans that weren't going to vote for Joe Biden. That's essentially that's what right. she said. And well, they, Barack, they intend to shut these people down. But Barack Obama said, get in their faces. Yeah. Right? That's not how you that's not how you conduct politics in a nationalist setting. No. You don't get in the faces. All right. It was Maxine Waters who said, make these people understand they're not welcome here. It yeah. was Andrew Cuomo who said that they're not welcome in the state of New York. That's not that's a supremacist ideology that if you don't possess the trait of wokeness, all right, the the the, the Soviets called the supreme trait uh, pro proletarian. Uh, or, or the worker. Uh, the Nazis said the supreme trait was possessed by those they called the Aryan. Well, the Democrat says the supreme trait is possessed by those they call the woke. And if you're a woke American, you're entitled to, to, to get on jet planes and rape underage children on Epstein's Island. Mm -hmm. But if you're not a member of the woke, you're not allowed to walk down the street without being punched in the face. Yeah. All right? This is this is a supremacist ideology. There's no and doubt about it. They, these people have lived in literally in their ivory towers for a long period of time. Whether it was in the in academia or politics, sometimes in business as well. The corporatists, um, you know, you see some of the a lot of CEOs of major corporations are fantastic people who think of others and they're just trying to run great businesses. But you've got these, a, a, a strain of these, you see them on television all the time. And most of them, the vast majority of them, they are willing to comply to all this and force it on you through their company structures. It, it's amazing. That's one of the things that, that, that terrifies me the most about where we are, trying to gauge where we are. And that is that corporate America has decided that it's more lucrative to lie on behalf of the supremacists than it is to tell the truth on, the, on behalf of America. You know, yeah. and, and the first one that I really recognized doing this was Nike, where if you know anything about sports, you know that Colin Kaepernick sucked. 
You yeah. know that Colin Kaepernick wasn't benched and didn't lose his job because he took a knee. He took a knee because he'd already been benched. He was a second stringer. He was so bad at this point. There's actually a video. Let me remember if I, if I can remember the Google search uh, words that'll get you there. But um, St. Louis disrespects Kaepernick. Type that into Google and watch the video. He's the quarterback. He's on his own two-yard line. That means there's 98 yards down the field for a touchdown. And the, and the people defending his wide receivers don't even defend them. They stand on the line of scrimmage. They leave the two receivers wide open because they know that Kaepernick is so bad at this point that he can't even see his own players. They, they, they were giving up a touchdown because they knew that Kaepernick couldn't do it. He was awful. Nike knows he was awful. But they put this lie out there, like the Democrats will constantly lie, like they lie about Michael Brown, like, like Joe Biden continues to lie about Michael Brown. But Joe Biden does it because he's a power-hungry, you know, there's... But Nike doesn't have to promote this lie, and yet they do. And then you see Goodyear do it, and then you see the other. And, and if corporate America has decided the money isn't lying on behalf of the supremacy, yeah, that, that's a really bad sign. It, it's a really bad sign because they can throw a lot of money in it. Um, the other thing is, what, what's interesting too, is it goes against their interests financially, but they're making enough. Well, I, I think in the long true. run it won't, but in the short run it does because they've got they've been making money and now they're doing this shift at, at a high point or at least at a point where they're relatively safe. It won't pay off in the long run. I'm I'm going to tell you, free thinking, free thinkers, and and people who have the liberty to pursue their own interests, as Milton Friedman used to like to say, um, that they in the long run will end up winning as long as the society stays free. Right, but that's the key is so long as society stays free. That's right. But, but, but society's not going to stay free so long as they're beating us up. Uh, and then you have the mayor of Portland backing them, you know, not, not, not arresting them, not prosecuting them. Then you have the schools indoctrinating them. Then you have the news media lying to them. Uh, you know, we're, we're getting up there in age, Jim, and we're going to fall off the edge of the, 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 yeah. the cliff soon to re be replaced by another generation that has been fully brainwashed in, into the lunacy of the supremacy. Well, do we really way, believe that that generation is, has been fully brainwashed or do we have any hope for it? Well, there, there are some indications that they've had enough, that this new generation, every generation since the, the, the supremacist takeover, you know, starting, let's say, in the 80s or the 90s, has gotten worse along the way of sense of entitlement, the mental illness of narcissistic personality disorder, the, their sense of uh, victimhood and victimization, uh, their embrace of total nonsense, like 197 genders, uh, hatred for, for those of us who don't walk in lockstep with them. But this last generation is showing some clues that they might want to know, that they, it's gone so far that, they're, that they want to know the truth that they want to go see Ben Shapiro. They don't agree with him because they don't know, but they want to go hear Jordan Peterson. Uh, they, they want, they seek out uh, Joe Rogan. Uh, so there, there mm -hmm. is some reason to have hope about this latest generation, but it might be even too late by then because 90% of a supremacy are not the supremacists themselves. 
you know, they're, they're only 10% of the Germans were Nazis. Right. You know, only 10% of, of Muslims are Islamist terrorists. You know, only 10% of, of, of the Democrats in the South were members of the KKK. All right? It's the 90% yeah. who simply enable the supremacy because they've been so steeped in and surrounded by the narratives of, mm -hmm. of, of the supremacy that they simply take it for granted and don't give it a moment's thought. There's an example in my book. Uh, I, I'm talking about Bruce Springsteen and, and he's singing about being born in the USA and he explains what the, the, the Vietnam War was about. He says, got, got in a little hometown jam, so they put a rifle in my hand, set me off to a foreign land to go and kill the yellow man. Okay. So mm -hmm. the Vietnam War was, was, was because Americans are racist. There, there was no real reason for it. They were just right. yellow. We were white, and, and he was sent there to kill the yellow man. What a, what a horrible thing if that were true, that America is so racist that we would, we would go ourselves or send our sons and our daughters to, to these horrible places in order to kill people based on their skin color. The problem is not only isn't it true, it's diametrically opposed to the truth. And most disconcerting is Springsteen would have known this had he given it even a moment's thought. Because no matter how little Springsteen knew about the Vietnam War, he had to have known that while the North Vietnamese did in fact have yellow skin, so too did the South Vietnamese. Yeah, <laughs> who were fighting beside. Who we were fighting beside in order to protect. And therefore, yeah. if both people had yellow skin, it couldn't be for the... But here's Springsteen, not a stupid man, not an untalented man, not, not, not a mentally uh, incapable right. human being, right. but yet he took this vile slander against Americans that were racist as a given because that's what he was steeped in and surrounded by he's not a white he's not a, a woke supremacist mm -hmm. he's a woke supremacist enabler and and that's more of what's to be uh, concerned about because again if it's just the 10 percent uh we're just back to the 1960s with hateful vile vicious democratic socialists who can't foment a revolution because nobody would follow them and by the way your your analysis works when you also take into consideration a lot of the foolish decisions that the government made that made the vietnam war so unwinnable when it would have been or and and even the argument about whether to go or not still doesn't fit in this racist paradigm because there were a lot of stupid mistakes made around that none of them racist that, that's correct Stop. look we can we, we can we can talk uh, about tactics and, and and timing, or even whether whether it was the spread of socialism. Which, by the way, every war that America has been in for the past hundred years has been for no other reason than to stop the spread of a vile, vicious, atrocious supremacist movement. All right, mm. we entered World War II to fight to, to prevent the further spread of Hitler's socialist regime. The Cold War was fought to, 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 to slow the spread of the Soviet socialist empire. The Vietnam War was entered to, to, to prevent the uh, proxies of the Soviets from entering. And, and the Korean War was fought to stop the Chinese proxies. So that's every time, the only thing, the only wars that we've entered. Once Nazi Germany was defeated, and once the Soviet socialist empire crumbled, the only other wars that we've been involved in have been against Islamicist supremacist movements like, and their atrocities. Mm -hmm. So it's really quite telling. And that's because we're nationalists. We're not globalists. If we were globalists, we, 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 first of all, we would have taken over Canada and Mexico. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. You know? Well, actually, we might have avoided Mexico, but I get what you're saying. Actually, no. I was, I, I was thinking, <laughs> and I was thinking we would, would have avoided Canada. This is uh, the weather. Are you kidding? See, mate. Yeah, I know, but the weather's bad. They, they're, they're weird French people. You know, I mean, what would you we do that you, for? You can't find a doctor outside of a major city. <laughs> <laughs> so true. But, but hey, they got cowboys in Winnipeg. You know, so maybe, maybe it's not all bad. <laughs> oh no, it's not all bad. This is Winnipeg. Yeah, there is Winnipeg, uh, Calgary, and Winnipeg. So uh, right. anyway, but yeah, no, you it's, know, sorry, it's I, there's, there's, there's there's an expression about Montreal, which yeah. is uh, be better than France, not quite America. <laughs> <laughs> so so true. Yeah, well, you know, and <laughs> I I think um, I, I what concerns me most is the lack of reaction that you described of the 90%. And this is why this kind of, you and I have talked about this for years. We, we've been friends for a lot of years and, um, and you know, because uh, I've talked to you about a lot, this whole concept of against nice, which I finally did on a podcast, talking to Peter Schweitzer, my friend one day. And I'm like, I, I, I've been thinking about this book I want to write. And he's like, well, just go, go do the podcast. Let people know what you're thinking and just build it from there. So th this whole concept of against nice is not to train people to be mean, but to train them to be kind. But I'm going to tell you this, any, any parent would never be considered kind who didn't discipline their child and no child being disciplined thinks it's very nice. Um, there's no also, there's also, there's also a medical condition or a psychological condition yeah. uh, w uh, of compassion without moral and rational thought. It's called right. codependence. Right. When, when you have compassion for bad people, that's not good for them, nor is it good for their victims. That's you know, right. And, and if you look, if you look at the the abortion issue, which the Democrats claim is out of compassion for the woman, no, it's not. It's out of it's 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 out of animus for the child. Yeah. You know, when they when 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 they portray themselves as caring about the illegal aliens, no, they don't. They they just have disdain for their victims. You know. And you when, know what's when, really interesting to me too was just this year in 2020. <laughs> that that during during woke culture during the black lives matter protests that planned parenthood finally decides hey we got to get rid of this margaret sanger person but why did they do it <laughs> they only did it because it became embarrassing After their ideology still years. hasn't changed yeah you there still All right, something really screwy is going on no, here. No, it's your internet. It's your internet. I'll edit it out. It's all good. Uh, okay, there you go. All right. all right. You're good. Yeah, Thanks. but so so they just they just uh, cancel Margaret Sanger now, but they've never canceled the ideology behind it. I, bet, I was talking to my friend Troy Newman, who runs Operation Rescue. We were having this discussion the other day. It's like um, still in New York State – more than half of black babies are killed through abortion of all pregnancies. Right. This is happening right now. And her, her eugenicist ideas haven't left, even if not every planned parent person connected with Planned Parenthood thinks and of by, eugenics every day. It's the, the and, principle's still there. And, and by the way, eugenics is very much a socialist idea. It is. In, in, Right in that you're trying to create the perfect society that if somebody had, is lacking in what you consider the the supreme trait, whether you know obviously Hitler 
was was big into eugenics. The the Nietzsche and Uberman. I mean, that's that's really what you're looking for. There was a, there was a whole chapter in my book until I cut it out all about the Ubermensch. Yeah. Um, and that's and that's what they're trying to create is the Ubermensch. And it's the same thing in China with the one baby with the one child rule and the rest of them are murdered. The rest of the babies are murdered. It, it's it's trying to create this perfect society. And you'll notice we nationalists never say utopia or promised paradise. We say make America great again, not perfect. Right? We say America is exceptional, not perfect. All right, even the founders said in order to form a more perfect union. All right, so it's it's the left that always promises paradise, and in order to get to paradise, they have to walk us through hell. They have to eugenicize us. They have to, you know, in in the book, the woke supremacy, uh, an anti-socialist manifesto. When I'm when I'm quoting John Lennon, he says, in in order for all the people to live as one. All the others need to, in some way, be dealt with. Yeah. Right? Everybody, if you, for everybody to live as one, you have to get rid of all the others. Now, the others have been different, depending on which socialist incarnation. The others in in Marxism and Stalinism were were, were the bourgeoisie. Uh, the other in German socialism were the Jews and the Gypsies and the handicapped and the gay. And, and and the other in the woke supremacy are those of us who aren't woke. I mean, cancel culture is just a cultural expression of abortion. Let's just be honest you know about what? it. It's, it's, it's one of the most important little runs in my book, which is that I, I, I point out Hitler didn't imagine a world of gas chambers and ovens. He imagined the world after the gas chambers and ovens yeah. had served their purpose. Yeah, that's right. right? Stalin didn't imagine a world of gulags and permanent confinement to, to frozen tundra. He imagined the world after the others had been vanquished. You know, Mao didn't imagine a world with millions of bodies littering the countryside. He imagined the perfect world that would come after the killing fields. Well, the democratic socialist doesn't imagine the, the, the horrors that they visit upon those of us who don't agree with them, the setting yeah. fires, the shooting, the blinding with lasers, the, the hitting over the head of, of, of Andy No and, and whatnot. They imagine the world after we've all been vanquished and all been taken care of. And, and even, even Marx in the perfect theoretical telling of socialism knew that there had to be a dictatorship of the proletariat. There had to be the violent and evils to take care of all of the others before they could then get to their workers paradise well that's where we are right now is it this is the dictatorship of the proletariat this is the dictatorship of the woke doing these horrible things to us and the gulags and the death camps and the uh killing fields right they were simply the more primitive technologies from earlier cancel cultures yeah yeah and, and by the way there is a bumper sticker for the woke supremacist. It says, mean people suck. Mm -hmm. You know, th th and the thing is, people seriously put that bumper sticker on their car because of exactly what you were talking about in its various forms. And they believe with their whole hearts, some of them, that we have got to get rid of these mean people. And they're being mean. <laughs> you know, it's just like, it's really interesting. And they, they don't have a 
a grasp on the hypocrisy of their statements, the illogical manner in which they promote their ideals. Well, that's because, that's because their ideals are their original purpose. And their original purpose is not to be mean to us. Their original purpose is a world without us. Right, uh, right, and, exactly. And, <laughs> Uh, then it'll be all peaceful. It'll be all wonderful. You know, it, it was Nancy Pelosi who, who said, and if there is some collateral damage to those who do not share our views, then so be it. Yeah. All right. So, well, they, they, they see the people that they're mean to as just the collateral damage. And, right. and, it's, very and it's very frightening, by the way, when government – sees us as collateral damage and sees their original purpose, not in upholding the constitution, not in representing their constituents, but in Portland uh, and Seattle right now under BLM protests, right? <laughs> it's the same thing. Right. Yeah. Same thing. In collateral Portland, damage. Oregon. You, uh, yep. the, the mayor of Baltimore says we need to give people room to destroy, <laughs> you know what it's like. Yeah. But, but, but you'll notice in, in almost all these cases, as soon as they show up at the mayor's house, that's the end of that belief. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's uh, the mayor who, by the way, just a few weeks, this is Chicago you're referring to, yeah, the, who, who earlier when she shut down all the barbershops, went and got her hair done and then explained it by saying, well, I'm in the public sphere here. So, you know, I got to be, it's just like, are you crazy? But this seems like hypocrisy, but it's not. And the reason it's not hypocrisy is because they see themselves as the adults, all right? They see themselves as the God, as the teacher. And the rules that apply to God aren't the same rules that apply to mortals. The rules that apply to the teacher, they say, don't smoke in the bathroom, and then they go outside and smoke. Well, this is, this is, yeah, this is the ideal of the secular God, by the way, because the God who is real has real demands upon human beings that he already is fulfilling <laughs> that we can't That's fulfill because 6,000 years of uh, recorded human history proves the moral depravity of man. Our problem is ours. It's not his, whereas That's they definitely do see themselves as having different rules. That's their concept of what oh, we do. say is I mean, look, God, too. It's, it's, it's not like uh, when, when they get on those private planes to fly to those uh, uh, environmental, you know, man-made global warming conferences, or, yeah. or when, I forget the actor's name, but he, he takes his 600-foot yacht. I don't even know what size it would be. Leonardo DiCaprio, I think it DiCaprio. is. DiCaprio, yep, Leonardo DiCaprio. And they don't think of themselves as being hypocritical. They think those are the rules for the children we're the we're the adults here. We're the gods. The rules don't apply to us. And it's mm -hmm. the same thing with Lori Lightfoot. You know, the people over there. The oh no no no. Protect my home because I'm a god. It's a very frightening thing when when leaders think they're gods. It it, it really is. Uh, which is why we have this constitution thing where, that created, <laughs> <laughs> which created a government that was not created by the government, but that was created by the people and their consent. And, 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 that, and, that, our rights, and that our rights came from God, not from Leonardo DiCaprio or, or yeah. Black Lives Matter, or whoever's going to punch us in the face if we try to talk to each other. No, there's no doubt about it. So here's the problem. So the, there's a, a scripture that I use when I'm laying out the fact that we must, um, we must engage in culture those who believe in the truth, those who want to submit to eternal truths that aren't 
made up by them, like like socialists make up. And that is this, Micah 6, 8. He, God, has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Evan, here's the problem. I don't see enough people of goodwill, and you've referred to this a little bit, determined to do justice. Because you know what? Well, it's a scary we, thing, and there's a price to be paid. Well, those are two very important aspects to it. But there's good is always at a disadvantage against evil. And that is that good is constrained by its goodness, whereas evil is constrained by nothing. And this, in fact, is something that the evil uh, Saul Alinsky, you know, this, this is a mm -hmm. man whose manifesto doesn't even pretend to be moral. It is simply a book for the, for the, uh, for the bloodthirsty who, 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 who are lusting for power and are willing to get it through any means necessary. He, he says it quite point blank in the book. He says, the purpose of this, this book is for those who wish to change the world from what it is to what they want it to be. Well, Hitler wanted to change the world from what it is to what he wanted it to be. Mao wanted to change the world from what it is to what he wanted it to be. So by, 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 by Alinsky's own acknowledgement, the book that they use as their war manual, that they use as their gospel, Alinsky's Rules for Radicals, could just as easily have been written for the next Hitler. By the way, de originally and, dedicated to Satan, and in subsequent well, printings quite, wait, wait, pulled this, out. This is, yeah, this, this the left gets you on this one. It was not dedicated. They do. To, it was not dedicated to the devil. He paid tribute to the yes. devil. Yes. No, I, I okay. think that's a fair that's a fair distinction. But I mean, and and what he said was but, 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 the, but the first left, the first organizer lest, that made his own world. I mean, that was basically right, lest, lest, lest we lest, lest we forget the very first radical Lucifer. Right. Uh, and he goes right. off that, that, that's certainly that's certainly in my book that's yeah and i'm not trying to say he was a satanist but he was he was no, definitely he, into he, that he, concept of revolution and radicalism well he was into that concept of it doesn't matter who or what you are right. or what your agenda is or what you hope to accomplish even the devil can use this book and and the, and the fact and one of the rules for radicals is make the other side live up to their rule book because he, he knew that yeah. our rule book is the Constitution. Our rule book is the Bible. And therefore, if we live up to the and, – and that's why so many on our side have been slow to the fight because the fight's going to require us to, to go beyond what our books say. We, we're going to have to just, – just like when the Palestinians terrorists wrap themselves in innocent civilians. And that puts the good Jew – and what do I do? Do I kill an innocent civilian or do I let the terrorists get away with, with murder? Mm -hmm. And at some point, you've got to just say, it's unfortunate, but I got to kill that terrorist. But if, if they can force you to play by your own set of morals, you are at a distinct disadvantage against the immoral. Which, by the way, is a canard anyway, because you can play by your own morals. Here's the problem, in my opinion is you can live up to your moral, and I do this in politics all the time. Evan, you know, I've, I've spent so long trying to win things in politics. I can tell you this, the, the methodology, in my opinion, is to follow the patent statement. No bastard ever won a war by dying for his country. He won it by making the other poor dumb bastard die for his country. The, mm -hmm. the reality is that you need to make them, and, and, and politics is war by other means, you need to make mm -hmm. them pay 
for the ideals that they have. Now they, right. you're exactly right. They have no constraints. They'll, they'll right. come and, from and, any and, way they can and break any but, rules. But, but I, I agree with you about an aspect, a group, a, a percentage of the people who are supremacist enablers, woke supremacist enablers, in that they've done the cost benefit equation and they've come to recognize there's tons of benefits to, to supporting the supremacy. You get your own television shows, you get, you get cast yeah. in movies, you get tenure, you get promotion. While there's a great cost to opposing the supremacy, you lose your job, you don't get, you, you get beat up on the streets. It's a, and, and so in the, just the cost benefit equation, you know, is, is Bill Maher really a left-wing fanatic? Or is he somebody who knows if you want an HBO special, you pretend to be a left-wing fanatic. You yeah. know, and and you would know. <laughs> well, well, I I know I know. There's actually a lot more to the story than most people know. Yeah, he that's I, right. He, would, he said I would know because I wrote politically incorrect with Bill Maher for many years. And many and years. by the way, and when you listen to him, the the reality, the the fact that he has some of the people on the right that he has, and even though he goes after them, he shows them respect. Indeed. And he and he beats up on the left from time to time when they're being stupid too. In, 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 indeed, I mean, look, the whole premise, the whole is, I believe it's it's three leftists and then you get one conservative that they all beat up on. Uh, yeah. And so, yeah, he does have a conservative on the show, and every once in a while, some of them. I thought Dinesh did great when he was on the show, and and in fact, well, it's those one-on-one -on -one interviews he does though too. I mean, that's that's, that's where best. it really kind of comes that's out. The best. Yeah, that's what yeah. he's the best. Uh, that being said, I mean. I, I, Mar might not have been the best example because he's long established and whatnot. But yeah. if you're a young comedian now and you want an HBO special, you yeah. better not say I'm pro-Trump. You better not say yeah. God bless America. You better not say I'm against abortion on demand, you know, right. post-term abortion. You better not say these things. So how many of those people can be won over to the good side by altering the cost-benefit equation, I think there's not an insignificant number. I think that's something we should be going after as well. And, and you can, you, you're far away from the time when a, um, a George Carlin can speak honestly about things. And um, even though he was, you know, not a theist and, and didn't particularly like religious people in some ways, but he did so from, from a foundation that I don't think a lot of comedians could come in and do it from this day and age. I, I, I don't think there's anybody out there except me. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> How many gigs you had lately? Yeah, well, <laughs> you're not allowed out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's right. What can you do? <laughs> well, and which, which kind of brings me to this. Where, where are we? We've, we've talked about the politics of this. So where's the culture right now? Um, and, and what do you think is uh, driving what we see in the entertainment media nowadays? Yeah, look, there's, there's only one thing that drives everything in the supremacy, and that's the supremacy. All right. Sometimes it's it's delivered in more subtle ways. You know, it's not Lenny Riefenstahl any longer because you don't need Lenny Riefenstahl in this day and age. Um, but there, there's simply no way to get a television show on the air that doesn't lean left and even gratuitously attack conservatives. You know, uh, I, I forget, it wasn't CSI, it was another one uh, from, by Dick Wolf, I think it was, um, that had all these different uh, shows. 
And, and the second you saw a Christian, whether it was a priest, whether it was a, somebody who was devout, whether it was the second you saw a Christian, you knew who the killer was. You know, and, and were they well-written? Were they clever? Were they well-acted? Absolutely. But no matter what, you know, there's a story I tell in, in, in The Woke Supremacy, and it's about Jimmy Fallon. And Jimmy Fallon had the number one late-night talk show. He was blowing the other two out of the water, Jimmy Kimmel and Stephen Colbert. Uh, and, and he had on a guest who was funny, and, he, and, and Fallon was funny. And, and, and it almost cost him his career because that guest was Donald Trump. And the next day, Variety wrote about how evil it was that he humanized Trump because in the supremacy, the other is not to be human. Mm-hmm. The other has to be subhuman, yeah. right? And, and that was the crime. In an instant, he went from first to third. In an instant, the same people who had been begging to be on his show wouldn't come on his show. He actually tweeted out, I think it was tweeting, uh, but what do you want? I get it. I feel bad. Do you want to keep pushing me? I said, what do you want me to do? Kill myself? He thought yeah. that his friends, his fans, his followers, his colleagues, the people who adored him the day before he tasseled Trump's hair, the next day they wanted him to kill himself because they, they will not give this much in the culture. So it is funny cool. because he, he, he uh, through most of his career, has always been a decent guy. And he yep. t- he'd hit everybody with a joke on every side. I mean, that, it's not like he didn't do that. But he, he, you could tell that he was a guy who actually respected other people, even well, when he didn't in, like them. In, in, in addition, he respected his profession. You see, yeah. in, in, in a normal world, if you're a comedian, your job is to entertain. Right? In a normal world, if you're a historian, your job is to provide objective and accurate telling of history in if, if in a normal world if you're a journalist your job is to even-handedly portray the events of the day but in the supremacy your job in each in each case is simply to promote the supremacy right so cnn has no journalistic standards their standard is what promotes the supremacy Jimmy Fallon was not supposed to do a late night comedy show. He was supposed to do a late night supremacist show that centered around comedy. Well, so I was talking to a friend the other day. Uh, How many he, friends do you have left? Uh, huh? I think I ha- this is one of the five that remain. Okay. I'm trying. I'm trying to reestablish that with you, so maybe I can get back up to six once again. <laughs> no, anyway. Uh, <laughs> but I'm talking to this friend, and he's like talking about the old. Um, well, Johnny Carson show and also the uh, Dean Martin roasts. Uh-huh. Now, w- when I when I look at those, and may- maybe it's because I'm older, and even though n- Johnny Carson kind of in my generation, but the roasts were kind of in my parents' generation. I was just really young watching them. They stopped in the late 70s. So, you know, I was born in 65. So, um, you, but what you see there, is the purest form of hilarious comedy to this day i watch if i watch those roasts i am i'm buckling over laughing and and there's definitely good comedy out there right now i i, I do see it and, and it's really funny i don't see the consistently excellent comedy and this friend was telling me you know one of the things is he didn't see the uber political nature of it. I remember in one of the roasts, they're making fun of Hubert Humphrey, you know, after he had just lost, but, but, 
but still, you know, you could tell it wasn't, it wasn't about beating up on Nixon so much. It was just, it was just kind of funny for him. We've lost that kind of comedy in this country. Have we not? We have indeed. And it's, it's, it's all due to the left. The left cannot laugh at itself. Yeah. You know, it, 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 it is like, Hitler laughing at himself. It's like Stalin laughing at himself. It's like Mao laughing at himself. When they are gods, well, mm -hmm. then to, to poke fun at God is blasphemy. Mm -hmm. So you, you won't see them. On the other hand, they have replaced humor with vitriol for the right. No matter what their job is, their job is still to advance the supremacy. And you don't advance the supremacy by saying Barack Obama doesn't have any clothes. Yeah. And you don't advance the supremacy by saying, hey, didn't Donald Trump do a great thing? It's all to advance the supremacy. And when that's when that becomes the job, then humor is no longer your job. I, there's a story I tell uh, in right at the very beginning of the book, but a woman named Nancy Spector. Nancy Spector is the curator of a museum in New York City called the Guggenheim. Mm -hmm. And this is a museum that has a, a, a a collection that includes Van Gogh's and, and, and whatnot. I mean, it's, it's one of the most amazing mostly. collections in the world. Absolutely. Okay, one of those, all right, she also has all the money in the world, thanks to the many and, and wealthy uh, sponsors. Right. When Now that she's in charge of the Guggenheim, she went out and spent a fortune on a gold toilet bowl that she <laughs> yeah, installed heard, in that. the bathroom. Yeah. And, and, and the toilet bowl is called America. Yeah. Right. Now, Clearly, she doesn't believe her job is to is to share great works of art, great works of beauty. Her right. job is to spread hate for America. Right? She's doing it in the guise of an artist, in the guise of a museum curator, in the guise of beauty. But the standard that made that toilet bowl pretty, beautiful to her, the most beautiful thing there is, right? the most beautiful thing she could get, was the fact that she hates America. Right? And, and when... That becomes your driving force as an artist. When that becomes your driving force as a journalist, when that becomes the driving force, and it's true of every supremacy, the journalist in a Nazi supremacy wasn't a journalist; he was a Nazi, right? Yeah. The 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 uh, movie, the filmmaker in a German supremacy wasn't a filmmaker; she was a Nazi making films. And so we don't have comedians whose job is to entertain their woke supremacists who tell jokes. It's kind of funny. Uh, as what I've watched recently a few times, uh, Ken Burns jazz documentary and during world war two, uh, first of all, jazz was banned in Germany. Mm -hmm. And then when they found out there was a lot of underground jazz clubs <laughs> all over, all over uh, Berlin or whatever, Weimar, yeah. then they started to do a, uh, uh Herman Goering apparently, uh, put together some jazz bands that were singing propaganda. Uh -huh. <laughs> you know, and it's like, by the way, they, it's the same with that toilet. So what's interesting about the gold toilet is that, and this happens with people who are illogical, irrational, uh, unwilling to see what's evidently before them. So what's interesting is the toilet, which is America, is made mm -hmm. out of a precious metal. You know? <laughs> and, and, so, and, 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 and it works. And, that's it, right, works. and it works. <laughs> but, but here's the thing. They're defecating 
on a precious metal. So for them, that's like, oh, we're getting on that America thing. And what the reality that comes into place is that something very precious and beautiful, they're the ones that are harming. I mean, it shows the hypocrisy or, or the reality, I should say, of who they are. It just shows that they don't think that they that there's absolutely no thought yeah. that goes into anything they believe. As you know, I go back to Springsteen and that, but you, you know, you brought up uh, uh, Goering and and the jazz bands and whatnot. Actually, after I tell the Spectre story, I, I say it's reminiscent of a 1972 movie called Cabaret. Remember the movie Cabaret? Oh yeah, oh yeah. And that takes place just on the cusp of the Nazis coming to power. They haven't come to power yet. Right. But now we're in the cabaret with Joel Gray, who's the nicest guy in the world. You can, would never think he's a Nazi or a Nazi sympathizer, and he's probably not. But he's singing this song called If You Could See Her. And as a bit of camp, and he's singing it to a, a, a woman dressed as a gorilla. All right. Yeah. And, he's, and, and it's really a touching, loving, moving song about tolerance and understanding and <clears throat> the differences that and then he gets to the last line of the song he says if you could see her through my eyes she wouldn't look jewish at all yeah. now there's nothing funny about comparing a jew to an animal but the audience in the in the nazi nightclub cheer and laugh and applaud why because what's funny is the the shared hatred that mm -hmm. the german supremacists had for the other the jew right. but what makes the toilet bowl beautiful only the woke supremacist shared hatred of America. There's yeah. nothing else that makes that toilet bowl beautiful right. except for their hatred. Right. No, it's, 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 it's quite real. So, um, sh slightly shifting gears here. So, uh, but I, I'm a little bit running out of time. How about till six more minutes? Yeah, that's fine. Okay. So, um, what, uh, what, so what do we need to do from here? If someone reads your book, What's the next step that they need to take? Yeah, I, I wrote this first and foremost because the first rule of war, and this <clears> is war, and how bloody it gets, we have different notions. I, I'm thinking it's going to get fairly bloody. Uh, but the first rule of, law, uh, of war is to know thy enemy. And so first and foremost, I, I want to steal our side to understand the moral rightness of our cause, that these are not simply nice people with whom we have policy disagreements with. Those days are long gone. These are now the enemy. They've declared war. When yeah. they declared war again, when they said that they were going to be the resistance to a duly elected president of the United States, Barack Obama declared war when he, when he weaponized America against Americans. Uh, and, and we're seeing the, the war on the streets. And, and so we really have to get that this is war and war requires courage and sacrifices. You know, our parents or maybe perhaps grandparents had to go off and fight World War II. They risked their lives physically. They, they, they had to put their own dreams and businesses on hold. So if you're afraid of, of, of angering your cousin uh, and that's why you're not stepping up and speaking out, you've got to get over that. You've got to recognize this is in fact war. I had originally written it and specific actions that can and must be taken. I was implored by numerous people in the know that perhaps I should leave that out at this juncture with the elections around the corner looming like the landing at Normandy, because that's all it's going to be, is if Trump wins, we've landed at Normandy, and if Trump yeah. doesn't win, we've been repelled. Yeah. Um, 
And, and, and just because we landed at Normandy, we still have to fight a bloody fight all the way to Berlin. You That's know, right. the fight's not over just because we win in November. But to not muddy the waters, I've not put out a specific call to action, but I think you can tell from my words, um, this is no longer truly a democracy. Yeah. Because, because a democracy requires democratic institutions, right? They have elections in, in, in Soviet Russia. Right. And, and, and Stalin. They still do in communist China. Right. Um, so elections in and of themselves do not make a democracy. You need democratic institutions like an honest press, like, a, like an educated, not indoctrinated uh, populace. And so we've got to fight back um, through perhaps whatever means necessary and take back the schools. And that might mean using the same methods they used. They put guns to people's heads when they took over Columbia University. They're still putting guns to people's heads with no, no justice, no peace. Um, they're still threatening and, 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 and using violence. And so if we don't have democratic institutions, we don't have a democracy. And we can't play by that, oh, they won an election. Now we're going to, you know, Hitler won an election. Hitler came to power. Hitler was the father of democratic socialism. All right. He, he, he brought his socialist regime to power through the democratic process. So well, what's put a, be, yeah. Go ahead. So go ahead to what's well, just, the, for, first and foremost, you got to read my book. It's short. I wrote it to be. Uh, I noticed there were two things that 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 accomplished what I wanted to accomplish with this book. One was uh, Uncle Tom's Cabin in its serial serialized version, and that it was <clears throat> bite sized. It was digestible, and it laid out the moral clarity of the issue of the Civil War, slavery. Mm-hmm. Thomas Paine's Common Sense, which was only 50 pages long, but it, it, in bite-sized and digestible way, it laid out the moral clarity for the Revolutionary War. You mm. got to have the moral clarity to, to fight this war. So one, read my book, suggest it to others, and I promised at the end of my book that after the election, I will revisit and come back with specifics that, that I believe need to be done. Well, and at that time, and I hope a couple other times before that happens, uh, we need to get back together and talk on this because it, it these are serious things. I think people uh, are still, some, pe- some people There's are still on their heels. You know, they got knocked back a little bit on their heels and they're trying to make sense of it right now. And, and, they're also, uh, and they're, they're also others who live in a little bit of a bubble who don't know really how bad it is. Don't really yeah. know, you know, what I, I, I will never forget seeing a video, uh, not a video, a, a photograph of, um, of uh, come on, Anne Frank of Anne Frank and and her mother on the beach smiling and laughing <clears throat> just two or three years prior. Yeah, you know, it's two or three years yeah. prior. That's how quickly things, things change. change. Yeah, they do. They change very quickly. Um, I'm glad, even though we joked about it earlier, that our friendship hasn't changed. You've been a great mm-hmm. friend for a lot of years. I highly respect you as a comedian and an author. You're very insightful. I mean, you really get what's going on out there. And it's very helpful for folks. So I'm so thankful for the work you're doing and that I get to promote it a little bit for you. So, and, and hopefully we can get back on and kind of flesh some of this out again later. I'd love to come back on and, and you know, I love you, Jim, and I'm grateful for your friendship. Oh, thank you. And uh, we'll, we'll just, we'll get some links out there when we put this out so people can go get your book and get other things. I'm grateful that you've taken some time with me today and uh, we'll get back together soon, my friend. Okay. I look forward to it. Thanks. 
Thank you for joining us today on the Against Nice podcast. Please be sure to go to our website, www.politicsisntnice.com. You can sign up for our email list there just at the top right of the webpage. And make sure to follow us on iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher or even the iHeartRadio app. And give us a five-star rating and let people know what you think about our podcast. Again, www com. Join our email list at the top right hand of the page there and follow us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or iHeartRadio. Thanks for joining the show today. We'll be back soon.